Welcome to episode 27 of Shortbox Summary, a Marvel Comics podcast where we discuss the biggest, most fun books of the mid-2000s. And we got a special guest today. We've got from Red 22 Studios, we've got Robert in. Robert is a comic book creator uh, doing the story Broken Planet, correct? That is correct, yes. Broken Planet. It's my baby. <laughs> That's your baby, and that is a graphic novel. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about Broken Planet before we get started. So Broken Planet, the first book, is really a story about when you live your life and then through happenstance, you discover the truth about something. And then even with that, you end up unlocking an ability to do things. And what are you going to do with that ability? How are you going to change the world? You know, now there are people that want to take these objects and use them to control the world. Are you going to be the one to stop them or is it going to be someone else? Very cool. Uh, I've seen it. It's on. It's available on Global Comics, Comics with an X. Yep. Yep. Uh, very cool. Super trippy art and just like an epic story. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. We're going to, we're going to get really into it, I promise. But Robert, you were very kind. I put out a call to guests who wanted to come on and talk about a story. I think I gave you options. Yep. I think I did. Um, and then you chose Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which is a story we're going to talk about first today. Now, Captain America, the Winter Soldier was a six issue arc that took place in the Captain America book um, from 2004. I believe we covered the first episode uh, or sorry, the first arc, the first six issues of that story way back in episode uh, 14 of short box summary. So if you, it's been a minute. So if you need to remember what happened in the first six issues, please check out that episode of short box summary. But this is the basis for Captain America and the winter soldier, the movie. Had you seen that movie? Cause I know you hadn't read this story before. So as far as Captain America movies, that's like my favorite one. I like the score from the movie. I like the whole energy from the movie. Like, <laughs> like I will go back and I'll watch that repeatedly. I need to go ahead and just buy it on Blu-ray and like buy it on iTunes so I can watch it whenever I want. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like I really enjoyed the movie. It's just it was a whole different energy. It felt like something not related to Marvel, but it was like still kind of superhero-y. And even even when the movie came out, I had heard of the of the Winter Soldier and like the story, but I never read it before. Right. I agree with you. I think that is top tier Marvel. I think that's probably like one of the five best movies they've made. And you're completely right. The energy for that movie was just off the charts. It came in. It felt like Marvel had grown up since the last yep. movie that came out. And it was just like, oh, no, like now we're playing with like grown up rules, like just cap running through that ship and just steamrolling everyone. <laughs> it's some of the coolest <laughs> stuff like you'll see in a Marvel movie. He just bodies these dudes like he's a linebacker (laughs) like playing against like sixth graders it's incredible to see because see like they don't you don't you didn't really get to see a lot of cat like just going ham on people other than like the first movie and even with civil war you really didn't see that because he was fighting other superheroes which okay he's gonna let loose but like cat was going ham and then like when nick fury was (laughs) was getting attacked by like all those like Hydra cops and whatnot, and then Bucky shows up. <laughs> he puts that device underneath the car, and like Nick Fury's like, "Oh shit!" Like it's about <laughs> to go down. Like I was like, "Yeah, I was in the zone," and because it's just it's just so different, man. It, like I will actually go 
and I listened to the score from beginning to end because it felt like watching, man, like one of those like 90s, like spy movies, like Murder on 1600 or like something like that. Man, Murder at 1600 is good shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Right? See, they don't, they don't, uh, I don't think, I don't know if Marvel can do it again. The closest one to me that would be like that kind of energy would be Black Widow because it's not a whole lot of like superhero stuff in the movie. It's mostly mm-hmm. like just her like doing like spy stuff or whatever, which, but Captain America, Warner Soldier, that's, that's my joint right there. Man, that and the movie did the impossible thing. There's this comic book villain slash hero he kind of like oscillates back and forth but he's this french dude named batroc the leaper and like yes. finally they made him they made him look cool in that movie which seemed <laughs> fucking impossible if you've ever read a comic book with him he's just a french dude who likes jumping it's literally right. his entire personality <laughs> <laughs> and his costume is just like bro please don't wear that in real life because you yeah, don't get Oh, it's just like, dude, like, thank God France didn't invent bullfighters because they would look something like this. <laughs> like, it was, uh, it was, it certainly was a choice. I know it was the 60s and they were, they were doing the best they could, but Jesus, maybe mm-hmm. spend a little more time, leave that one in the oven a little longer. Yeah. Like, you gotta, yeah, you can, you can make it stand out, but good God. Like, the 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, when it comes to superheroes, just a whole different, whole different everything. It really does. And that is what I think is so cool about this story in particular, because if anything, it really draws on the 70s. We were talking about it a little bit before we started recording, but just this story is just oozing with like espionage noir feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is a vibe to this story. And you said even before we started recording that you really liked the vibe of this story because it was so different from the movie. You want to you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so it's it's very different from the movie in that the character of Alexander and Robert Redford's character, they could have been the same person. And I and I think that's that's who they are. He just didn't have the cosmic cube in the movie. But the whole like cause I, I didn't read volume one of it, so I literally just started reading volume two. Mm-hmm. And with what happened in Philadelphia with the explosions, him setting everything up. And then eventually it's almost like he, through this second volume, discovers that, like, I need to get rid of this Cosmic Cube because, like, whenever you try to do something, it's like, nah, you're going to get a million dollars, but then it'll turn into shit. Yeah, it's the ultimate Faustian (laughs) bargain, right? Like, like everything, just like, I want to be the the best athlete in the world. It's like, okay, sure, but you you can only play badminton. And you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's terrible. That's that's just what it's like. And I really liked the art from it because the art was really different. And with, growing up, I didn't read a lot of Captain America comic books. And this one was very well done. I, I love the writing. I love the story. I even liked the art. I like, I got, I'm trying to remember, like, from a timeline standpoint, if I remember correctly, this actually happens after Avengers disassembled. Where yes, it does. Yeah, because because I, I didn't realize that until I'm like, cool, Iron Man's in this, and then he's like, no, I can't really like be with y'all because I own this company, and then if I go with you all, it's like, oh man, it's like it's almost like if Steve's job was Steve Jobs was Iron Man. And something's going on with Google, and then he he's like, "I can't go with you all because if I do, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, 
I'm like, I'm out. I'm like, I can't be Iron Man. And yeah, I, and I can't be seen attacking the Zune. Everyone's gonna think I'm just doing this to, to prop up the the iPod. Yeah, right. Even though Hydra is behind Microsoft, I can't I can't do anything because yeah. <laughs> be fucked up. But like, it also I, I it does kind of like make me wonder why didn't any of the other Avengers show up? Even if it's like you know they kind of disbanded or whatever, they're kind of doing their own thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I question about about comics all the time because you know a lot of these Marvel comics they take place in New York City, and you have all these superheroes that live in New York and they never run into each other. Right, and, and like, they're like the they're they're the only people like you know above the skyline or whatever. Like you'd think you'd see the Fantastic Car flying, you know, at, at the very yeah. least. And but like story wise, I love how you know Nick Fury tried to. Talk to Captain like, hey, I need you to chill out. Don't do this. Sharon tried to talk to him. And Falcon was like, listen, you might do. So if you want to like pull up, we can pull up. <laughs> like, I, was, what it I, is. I, I, I have that note. I'm just like, God, Falcon's the fucking coolest. <laughs> like he is yeah. the immediate like, dude, you, you want to do this? Let's let's get it done. I'm like, God, he's right. what a good friend. Um <laughs> Are you surprised? Just I don't actually like know your, like your comic exposure, and like a frequent guest on this podcast is my girlfriend, who like knows nothing about comics but has seen every single MCU movie multiple times. And mm-hmm. anytime I ask her to read a story, she's like, "Yeah, it was really good, but why is Nick Fury white?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, let me get into <laughs> it. Let me explain why Nick Fury is white." Um, <laughs> and I got to be honest, like. Nick Fury's white. I definitely read it in a Samuel Jackson voice now. Every time. <laughs> so you don't read it in the David David Hasselhoff voice. I do not. I left that movie behind. I've seen it one time on the Sci Fi Channel when I was like ten years old, and uh, somehow I left that one behind. But I love that that casting. For those who don't know, that was like Stan Lee being like, he's the only one who could play Nick Fury. He's the only one that makes sense. That's like, really? Like you, sh- you, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. You mean I know it's like early '90s, but you sure? Be positive, like the the dude mm. Baywatch man. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool, cool. Like not Sean Connery, not Timothy Dalton, not Pierce Brosnan, not anybody other than David Hasselhoff. Yeah, and it, before everyone's like, those guys are British. It's like David Hasselhoff is German. So like, what? Like we're splitting hairs here, right? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's crazy? I remember what I remember when that came out. I watched it, watched it on Fox, and I was like, at, at that point, I was reading comic books, but like I didn't even know who Nick Fury was. And I'm like, oh, this looks cool. And when I watch people talk about that movie, I'm like, wow, that was that movie was a hot mess. Yeah, that's sure why it came on TV. It, it, it would not have lasted in the theaters, even even for that time. No, even when our standards were significantly lower, we still knew better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But no, like I, I explained to my girlfriend, like, oh well, Nick Fury in the Ultimate Universe, which was kind of the basis for the MCU. He mm-hmm. it was definitely based on Samuel Jackson, and now I'm like, God, what? Like, I'm trying to remember the last time someone has like so completely owned a role like that. Like the Not fact that like people. I'm here and it's like Tony, it's it's like Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man is like yeah. the only other comparison I can think of. Let's see. Um, I would say Christopher Reeves as Superman. 
Okay. I yeah. really like Henry Cavill's Superman, even though he didn't really get to like be Superman. You know, because yeah. Zach wanted to do what he wanted to do, but like, I think Henry Cavill's Superman is perfection outside of Christopher Reeve. But like, you know, that's that's kind of like nostalgia, and like that's just like the first Superman movie outside mm-hmm. of the old black and white stuff. Um, but yeah, Chris Evans as Captain America, I think he did a very good Captain America for. Yeah. For what they wanted to do with the MCU. Well, it turns out MCU is good. I, th- I think we just decided it. It, it. it goes back and forth on this podcast. It really depends, like, what you watched recently. You know, you watch something mm-hmm. like... I personally don't like First Avenger that much. I'm like, yeah, that movie's kind of whatever. Like, it, it's, it's not even the best World War II movie that director made. And then you watch Winter yeah. Soldier, and I'm like, "Fuck, Captain America is the coolest person on the planet." Like he just he just is. <laughs> like, like when he gets when he he's on an airplane, and they're like, "Do you have a parachute or whatever?" He's just like, "No, I'm good. I'm cap. Like I got this." <laughs> yeah, like, out of the <laughs> it's like whatever. And, and just him talking about banging that chick and accounting or whatever, and it's just like, "Ah, she's got a nose ring. I don't, I don't think I'm ready for that." <laughs> like, <laughs> And seeing him kind of like catch up, like he's got like a list of like songs that he needs to listen to. Mm-hmm. They end up going into the Apple store, him and Black Widow and the dude's like, y'all need any help? They're like, nah. And I don't know why they would have, well, other than the fact they had a computer, but like they're in the Apple store downloading stuff onto like flash drives and whatnot. Like, man, that movie, I think that movie is, I'm not going to say perfect because there's there's stuff you can gripe about the movie, but again, I go back to like the score for the movie, the the acting from the movie, the writing from the movie, the whole the whole plot. I think it would have been I don't know they could they could have gone panel for panel, but I don't think it would have made sense because Captain no. Falcon didn't have that history in the movie. Like they did in the comic, because by that point, two thousand five, Falcon's been a character for what twenty, thirty years now. Yeah. And so the fact that they would have, if they would have tried to do that in the movie, it wouldn't have made sense. Because like, this would have been our first time seeing Cap, seeing Falcon. I'm sorry, in the movie, so it wouldn't work. <laughs> but that one page where, right before the next issue, where. Bucky's got like his sights on Cat and Falcon, and he fires, and then he misses. And he's like, "How did I miss?" And then like a few pages later, you're like, "Yeah, because Falcon has the bird," and he's like, "Yeah, there's Bucky right there." Yeah, he's got Red Wing, baby. Yeah, <laughs> right. Stuff, stuff like that sticks out to me, and I really like how, to me, this Winter Soldier movie felt like Rogue One. Like it's still in the in the world of Star Wars, but it's not like about the Jedi. Yeah. And Rogue One for me was really one of my most favorite movies about Star Wars. I love that movie. No, I can. This, this podcast is very pro Rogue One with you 100% <laughs> on that one for sure. That's what's up. All right, Robert, you ready to jump in and start covering the book? Yes. All right. Um, so episode 14 of short box summary covered Captain America one through six. I'm not going to cover issue seven. Um, there was someone named Jack Monroe who was like a stand in Bucky for the fifties, really confusing continuity wise, but it's basically just like a, a solo issue starring him. 
and uh, his mental degradation from being experimented on by the U.S. government to try to be like a super soldier. And it's basically about his last days before he becomes the the scapegoat for the attack in Philadelphia that happened in issue six of Captain America. So I'm not covering that. Also not going to cover issue 10 because that was a House of M tie-in. And it's basically like an alternate history Captain America story about him not being frozen in World War II and getting to live his life and it's actually kind of funny. He was like the first person to walk on the moon. Like he like <laughs> get out of here, Armstrong. Like <laughs> we're all about uh, Steve Rogers here. And so I'm we'll sure we'll cover this. that. Yeah, we'll, we'll cover that during our House of M episode. But let's get into issue eight of Captain America from 2004. This issue came out July 20th, 2005. So came out this day, uh, 17 years ago. Wow. It is written by Ed Brubaker, art by Steve Epting and colors by Frank Darmada. Philadelphia still burns the morning after Alexander Lucan's deadly attack that kills hundreds. Nick is convening with Sharon and Cap, who still cannot believe that he saw Bucky last night. But Nick is showing him proof that he did. Over the years, Bucky's photo has been taken multiple times at different locations, following what appeared to be accidental deaths of high-ranking government officials and politicians. But Cap doesn't buy it yet. Sure, this guy looks like Bucky, but Bucky would never commit these atrocities he's being accused of. Flashbacks to the night before show Cap fueled off rage from the destruction, fighting what's called a MODOK squad. That is military operatives designed only for combat. That is a play off the mental organism designed only for killing. This robotic, weird, floating head with tiny little arms and tiny little legs <laughs> that, that AIM is super famous for developing and making their leader. And I think there was a Patton Oswalt animated show about MODOK on Hulu, which... Mm-hmm was kind of funny i still think harley quinn is like the better of like the adult themed animated projects but that show definitely had its moments and so uh they they pose a little challenge to steve he kind of dismantles them like it's his job because frankly it is at the debriefing yeah that's cap god he just fucking bodies (laughs) those dudes it's amazing (laughs) at the debriefing oops sorry it's crazy because like Cap is just a regular, in for all intents and purposes, he's just a regular dude, and you know he's strong or whatever. He can fight very well, but like he's not, he's not Spider Man, he's mm-hmm. not Thor, he's not Hulk, he's not Black Panther, he's not the Scarlet Witch, he's not none of those people. But like he still gets the job done. He can still put in work. Also, like. <laughs> Like the amount of computing power that was used to put people on the moon in the 1960s is like a calculator, right? Like, like nothing, like, and that was science of the 60s. And like a person walked on the fucking moon. So, like, just imagine the science of the 40s. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just like going back even further, making this dude, he was always described as like a three time Olympian, basically. Like, he was just described as like being a super athletic person. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's stronger than, like, the average person, but it's, they never, like, called it super strength. You know, like, they never thought he could, like, fight the Hulk to a standstill the way Thor could. So, yeah, yeah credit where it's due to Cap. Like, he is obviously stronger, faster, smarter than, like, the average person, but, like, he's not some mystic superhero. He's not some godlike superhero. He doesn't have the proportionate strength of a spider. And this <laughs> dude just dismantles this Modok squad. Like it's child's play. Like it's it's almost embarrassing that like this is the best aim could do. <laughs> yeah. 
at the debriefing, Nick explains this dude has only aged like five years over the last 50, as he was cryogenically frozen between missions and only lived six months at a time taking out high-value targets before being put on ice again. Remembering what it was like to see him, Cap loses his cool and breaks the monitor, showing him the truth he refuses to accept. Bucky is the Winter Soldier and responsible for the deaths of hundreds, maybe even thousands of people over the years, all in the name of covert psyops perpetrated by the Russian government and now various terror cells. However, they know the person who's really calling the shots is Cronus Corporation CEO Alexander Lukin and make a plan to take him into custody. Another flashback takes us to Commander Karpov. This was uh, Alexander Lukin's like mentor, the guy who saved him from a village attack in, in the first arc that we read. Mm-hmm. Um who felt shamed and humiliated by Bucky and Cap all those years ago in World War II on the Eastern Front. He's in a stealth submarine near the English Channel and recovers Bucky's body from the wreckage of the rocket explosion that Cap had long thought killed his friend and partner. That's the end of the first issue. So you did not read issues one through six. You're relatively new to Captain America. How was that for like an opening salvo? How Like, did that grab your attention? Did that make you interested? It... So that that first part, it didn't like, it didn't have me like, oh man, I need to like read more. Mm-hmm. With that first part, what I did like <laughs> was him going ham on those soldiers, and I, the art on it, I think, makes it grittier and darker, and almost kind of like what you mentioned earlier, like with noir. I feel like most of it probably should have been like maybe like sepia tone or like just like black and white and that that part that's what got me it was more it was less about the story for that first one and more about like the art and like trying to figure out well what is what is cap gonna do because like he's got a on one hand he's all like in his head he's he's got to be thinking well i know bucky is dead but like you're trying to tell me this bucky like I'm, I'm a superhero. I've seen clones before. I've seen life model decoys. How do I, how are you going to tell me this is Bucky? It could just be a clone. Like, yeah. Remember that time my body was cloned. Yeah. Remember that time my body was cloned and the red skull had his brain implanted in my cloned body. And that was like the DNA test we used in the last arc to prove that it was actually (laughs) the red skull. Like, like let's not pretend that this is like out of the realm of possibility here. Yeah. Wait, Come on, now we talking about like you got X Men out there. It could be anything. It could be a shapeshifter mm. or anything. Well, yeah, especially because in the comics they were way less afraid, especially before they were acquired by Disney. Like I feel like now there's a lot of like corporate synergy to keep the comics relatively in line with the movies. But this is like before the movies mattered at all, right? So like mm-hmm. it wouldn't be shocking if Cyclops did show up, you know, to be like, oh, that's like a shapeshifting rogue mutant you know like that's not out of the realm of possibility in the story the way it is in the movie so that that is an excellent excellent point and And to your point about about the art like oh i'm sorry please go ahead i was gonna say to your point about the art and like i'm just trying because this is like an audio podcast and it's a visual medium like it's it's really heavy blacks and they almost look greasy right like they're it's not like stark Mm -hmm. defining traits to like characterized by shadow it's like almost like a humid feeling every time you look at it like everything looks so hot and heavy in a completely Mm -hmm. non-sexual way unless you're looking at steve's abs (laughs) but like it's just so 
dense, right? Like it's like the air is palpable in the book. And like, that's what gives it that like neo-noir feel. That's just so fucking unique to this book and so cool. It is, especially like some of the panels where like, I can hear Sharon and Nick kind of like, I can hear them walking around talking and I can kind of hear the movie and I kind of don't want to hear the movie. But like when I when I'm reading, I'm hearing like the soundtrack from it, and like if they wanted to do like a motion comic, they could literally just use the music from the movie in like the background as people like doing voiceovers. Yeah. I think I gotta would, be honest. I, I didn't think definitely... I didn't think about the Winter Soldier soundtrack. You're talking about it so much. I think I have to go give it a listen after we finish recording Dude. here. Oh god, you got you got to give it a listen because the thing is, Bucky has his own music. His own thing. And when you hear, okay. yeah, he's got his own thing, kind of like how um, in Lord of the Rings, how everybody has like their own music or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But like when you first hear it, you don't you don't think it's gonna be Bucky's music until like the second and third time when he shows up. You're like, oh, that's Bucky's music. And bro, when I tell you that, mm. <laughs> <laughs> now when I when I hear it, and even like the credit music, it's just it's so spy. Yeah. Yes, it's it's stirring. It's like spy driven. I feel like I need to have like a trench coat on and walk around in the rain with a hat and try to call somebody on a on a a, a phone in a phone booth, put a dime in, like, hey, have you gotten to a location yet? And like this, the start of this book, it doesn't give me those vibes, but I'm still interested because I, I'm like, okay, so I know the story about Winter Soldier. I need to see what happens. I'm with you. I'm trying to quit smoking. And every mm-hmm. time I see Nick holding a cigar, I'm like, I should go get like a quick puff, right? Like I, sh- I should go do this. It, it, it's just so cool. It's such a heavy, heavy vibe in the book. Yes. All right. You ready to jump into uh, issue nine, the action issue? Yeah. All right. Captain America 9 came out August 10th, 2005 by Ed Brubaker, artist Michael Lark, and colorist Frank D'Armada. In a trio of S.H.I.E.L.D. helicopters, Nick, Sharon, Cap, and a S.H.I.E.L.D. strike team go over their plan to pull Lucan into custody. There's tension between Sharon and Cap because he asked her to be removed from this detail since it's personal connection to her. Considering her last boyfriend, Agent Neil Tapper, died in the Philadelphia attack, and Cap is afraid she wants to kill Bucky instead of subduing him, and maybe even worse for Lucan, the man who orchestrated the whole thing. One of the pilots raises a question of legality in the operation, <laughs> considering they're invading a sovereign territory, and Nick War Crimes Fury tells him, hey man, just follow orders. Let us worry about the red tape. Jesus Christ. Um, so <laughs> you mentioned uh, Avengers Disassembled. That was actually the first episode of this podcast. We also covered a story called Secret War, where Nick Fury basically uh, mind wipes a bunch of heroes after mm-hmm. like convincing them that they need to go take out the <laughs> the prime minister of Latveria and like inadvertently assassinate uh, a world leader. <laughs> and so like Nick is just playing real fucking fast and loose here with you know international borders <laughs> I'm just saying that's probably the worst idea you could probably think of to try to kill somebody from Latveria because Dr. Doom is probably not going to like that oh uh, this is I think Dr. Doom was technically in hell at this point 
in a weird, crazy, fantastic. I think he was trying to revive his his dead mother and got broken into hell. So that was that was when him and um, was it him and Doctor Strange went to go different. No, that was actually a different story where they were. Uh, history <laughs> history doesn't re- repeat, but it, it has the same core. There's some saying like that. Um, hey everyone, Future George here. The saying I was struggling to remember is the that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. I'm an idiot. I don't know what took me so long to get there. Love you, bye. Yeah, now this was during the Mark Wade, um, Mike Waringo Fantastic Four run, and he was in hell. And so this was a technically technically elected prime minister and so like that was the story in secret wars so like we're just on this show like the, the, like nick fury's a fucking war criminal like there's just no two ways about it like this dude is invading a sovereign country, and he's also used the line just follow orders which historically has never been a fucking good line to use ever like never ever in the history of, of lines is just follow orders an acceptable thing to say to someone who holds a fucking gun that's not right. what you want to do <laughs> <laughs> so it's like um should we really be doing this Cause... Don't, don't worry about it bitch just fucking fly the helicopter it's like okay, okay. <laughs> like, i guess i guess so because yeah, guess what if something happens he's the guy the helicopter guy he's the guy that's gonna take the fall Oh, yeah. Nick Fury is not going to get court-martialed. He's too important no. to get court-martialed. Yeah. But this fucking guy, this stick jockey over here, yeah, he's going down for sure. He's like, listen, I just... Listen, y'all pay me to fly a helicopter. I'm not trying to, like, go to jail for flying a helicopter, okay? That's, like, the fucking Uber of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Like, it's just, like can you imagine being an Uber driver just implicated in a bank robbery because you had a fucking car and you decided to ask a question? You're like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick's shitty sense of of legality and in you know international norms aside, uh, in a flashback, Nick reveals that the land is actually along the Mongolian-China border, something that Lucan purchased to essentially make his own corporate-run country, making this situation dicey, but not enough to stop. The strike team makes contact on the ground and do their best to keep the element of surprise, since they know Lucan has a fully powered cosmic cube they make their way up to the penthouse level conference room where they're met by the u.s chief of staff and the assistant to the secretary general of the u.n there to secure energy rights from the Cronus corporation now that it's acquired rocks on energy humiliated and reprimanded nick sharon and cap go home empty-handed with lots to answer for (laughs) fuck that was, that, was putting, that was putting silverware in the microwave of of missions right there. That was just a <laughs> bad move. <laughs> like the way that they just pulled up and just started like, beating people up just to get to the top floor, and it's like, oh, so we can't even like do anything. It was just mm-hmm. a waste of our time, and we just beat these people up for no reason. <laughs> yeah, man. One thing we talk about on this podcast a bunch is just like how tonally different comics were pre 9-11 to post 9-11 and i feel Mm. like pre 9-11 you didn't really have to explain international borders to someone right like that like that conversation could come up but never as in depth and there would always be like a one sentence one sentence explanation being like no we're here to do the right thing and here it's just like bro this would start a fucking war if this actually happened like 
like it, it's just like Top Gun, like the beginning of the movie Top, like the original Top Gun, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh shit, like there's just doing flybys of what are presumably either Russian or Iranian MIGs, and then like at the end of the movie they shoot down three of them. Like, how does that not fucking start World War Three? I'm saying, <laughs> and the, and in the eighties, come on, man. yeah, yeah, come on. And, Everyone then, had like a, a fucking hair trigger on the worst missiles any human being has ever invented that shit absolutely starts a war and this shit should start a war it, it really it really should have like you can't yes we know you're captain america and we know like you know we know who you are but god dang you got to sometimes you gotta let the other people do the things that's the, the thing like thing. it's it's captain america and like dude we're gonna take pretty much anything you do in good faith like we trust yeah. you but you can't, you can't do this. You can't sign off on this. Like, if you were like middle of the night sneaking in, like, uh, do you remember the Dark Knight that movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the way Batman goes in and like extracts that dude who just like made made away with like all the gangsters' money. I'm like, that is completely mm-hmm. different than having like a fucking strike team with like military operatives and like personnel. Like that, like that is a military operation. That is a, a threat. Right. A fucking boogeyman jumping in and then popping a parachute going up like like it's a cartoon. Like, okay, that's that's actually different. That's because <laughs> that like for real, for real, that really, that would have made more sense for them to do that that way. Because all you all you all you have to say is like, oh, he got kidnapped or whatever, and you mm-hmm. still have him. You can still get whatever information you can get. Yeah. And then if you needed to. In the in the world of these comics, you have people that can get into this man's mind. So yeah. you get, hey, let, let me call Professor Xavier. Hey, you remember where Emma Frost is? Like, mm-hmm. how much does she charge for her services? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I need some. Oh, what's help. The, oh, two vodka tonics. Perfect. Okay, that's in my budget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, like it, it's just kind of kind of mind blowing. Uh, that's not all that happened in this issue, though. Uh, meanwhile, at a secure government quote re-education facility, multiple armed <laughs> guards are taken out by Crossbones, who felt disaffected by the death of the Red Skull in the last arc, and is now breaking in to kidnap a young woman, who he then reveals to be Cynthia Schmidt, the daughter of the Red Skull. Yeah, I thought I thought he was going to kill her. Yeah, it, it really had that. I remember I was, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I'm 32. So I was 15 when this book was coming out. Mm-hmm. And I just immediately assumed it's like, oh, he's just going to kill this chick. Because like there was, there was some hints at her being like the, the unwanted daughter of the Red Skull in the previous arc. Mm-hmm. And then with Red Skull being dead, it kind of seemed like he wanted to take out any competition. And uh, sort of like assume that mantle. Because like, you know, Hy- Hydra's bad, um, AIM is bad, but, like, Crossbones is, like, a true believer in this shit, and that's, like, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, his vindication, his his resolution in realizing Red Skull's ideals is, like, genuinely fucking horrible. It- it's, like, mm-hmm. actually terrible. It's, like, that's the person you're scared of. You're not scared of the dudes in the beekeeper costumes, because they're just, that's, like, a nine-to-five for them, right? But, like, <laughs> yeah. this guy who lives and breathes this shit it's like oh you're actual like evil like you are actually the worst person on the planet yeah he he is about that life yeah and uh <laughs> this is not gonna 
matter for the rest of this story but man is this shit gonna come home to roost in a in a later story for for captain america <laughs> captain america 11 came out october 26 2005 it is by ed brubaker penciler steve epting penciler and inker mike perkins and colorist frank darmada at his just rated office lucan desperately looks for a file that has mysteriously ended up at steve's apartment Despite not taking anything from the Cronus headquarters last issue, this shit just literally appears in Steve's apartment. <laughs> what he finds is a dossier explaining the entire history of Bucky's tenure as the Winter Soldier since being recovered by the Russians in the English Channel. And it turns out that the icy cold waters had preserved Bucky, much like how they did Captain America. Uh, Vasily Karpov, the general in charge of Department X, wished to study his body, convinced that he also had the super soldier serum running through his veins. But it turns out Bucky was actually just a very efficient and effective soldier. Captain America had the super soldier serum. He could do shit no human could do. Bucky did not have the super soldier serum. He could also somehow do shit no human could do. He was just excellent at his job. <laughs> Which is... Give that man a raise. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Jesus. <laughs> Um, still being preserved by Russian science, the doctors treated him as though he were recently deceased, given the conditions he was found in, and they were able to fully revive him. He had no memory of who he was, but the muscle memory of his training was still very much intact. After stealing plans for an advanced robotic appendages and attachment theories from MI6, the Russians developed a super strong prosthetic arm that they were able to attach to his body because he lost his arm in the explosion. Mm -hmm. And uh, after mental reconditioning and mind manipulation, the Russians of Department X were able to turn Bucky into one of the deadliest assets of the Cold War. Now, this is going to seem kind of dry, but I've got a list of all the horrendous shit he did over the years. You ready for this, <laughs> Robert? <laughs> yeah. All right. In 1954, <laughs> he snuck across the border to West Berlin and blended in with American troops before killing three in a road accident that would be incorrectly attributed to drunk driving. In 1955, he eliminated a United Nations diplomatic negotiations team. Cause of death ruled a fire. Later in 55, he assassinated NATO General James Keller. In 1956, he eliminated British Ambassador Dalton Grains. Later in 56, he would assassinate French Defense Minister Jacques Dupuy while implicating the Algerian nationalist movement. And afterwards, he eliminated all targets at the Algerian Peace Conference envoy. In 1957, he assassinated United States Colonel Jefferson Hart. Three years out of stasis, the Russians find that Bucky was becoming mentally unstable, trying to fill in the missing gaps of his memory. They decided going forward to use him more sparingly and only use him for important missions. In 1973, after eliminating U.S. Senator Harry Baxter, the Winter Soldier went AWOL, eluding Russian attempts to reclaim him and injuring several sleeper agents in the process. He was eventually found in what's basically a halfway home. So that's like a lot of shit to process, right? Like this dude is basically yeah. responsible for most foreign policy failures throughout the fifties <laughs> for the United right. States. <laughs> like a whole decade of just like taking people off this planet. Mm -hmm. and, and at the same time, that stuff is starting to wear off. So now he's on one hand still doing these jobs. And on the other hand, trying to piece together his life again. That's the one thing that it doesn't bother me that they do it in, in winter soldier, but like he really only seems to start questioning orders once he sees cap. Mm -hmm. 
And so, like, that implies that, like, Cap is the one who's pulling him out of this. And, like, what I like about this story is the fact that it's, it's like Bucky's fighting it, right? Like, Bucky is trying to reclaim his own agency, his own sense of, of, of personality. And so that is, um, that's one thing I think that the, the comic did a little bit better. But, I dude, agree. this is just insane. And, like, they actually kind of reference this a little bit. Like, Robert Redford's character in The Winter Soldier, like it was genius marketing. Cause like when the trailer was speaking, like you think he's talking to captain America when he's just like, your work has shaped has changed mankind. Like you've shaped the century and like all the shots are of cap in the trailer. And then it turns out he was talking to Bucky the entire time. <laughs> That's where that monologue comes from. He's talking to like the most successful fucking cold war assassin in, in history. Absolutely <laughs> incredible plot twist with, with marketing there. That is, that is well done. I, I love that they gave him, in the comic to your point about letting Bucky fight the stuff on his own, as mm-hmm. opposed to like in the movie where it's like, it's almost like the Martha, why did you say that name? Instead of like, <laughs> <laughs> now that that's cool on its own, but it's almost like if they would have let Bucky in the movie fight that on his own, it still would have been impactful mm-hmm. because He's trying to fight it, and he sees Cap, and he's like, "I don't know, man. I don't know if I, I don't really fool. I don't really fuck with you like that. I'm just trying to fight this, and I see that you're there, but like, there's the part of me that's might be growing, and like, that's Cap. The other part is like, they did say take out anybody that tries to get in here. So I mean, hey, it is what it is." Mm-hmm. Bucky is eventually recovered from a from going off script in that mission. And after 10 years in stasis, he's made to be general Vasily Karpov's personal bodyguard as he oversees disrupting us foreign policy in the middle East throughout the eighties after Karpov's death in 88 and near the fall of the Soviet union, Bucky is permanently put in stasis and transferred to a storage facility with the rest of department X initiatives and abandoned experiments. Steve Rogers falls back in his chair, completely beside himself about what has happened to his partner and friend. He has a memory of Bucky at a movie theater where he says to Cap, quote, you're too serious. We get a week's leave, get to go home for a change, and you're bringing the war home with us. You've got to learn to relax, pal. Sometimes I think if you didn't have me, there wouldn't be a single person in the world who really understood you. Steve's head falls into his hands, and the issue ends. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> now Cap has to relive all this stuff all over again, and it's worse because... He's gonna feel like it's my fault because Bucky's like a kid. Mm-hmm. He's 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 not he's not an adult. So it's like, well, dang man, I got yeah. This this kid's my partner. He's legit or whatever. Like he's still literally a child. Yeah, we see we see flashbacks. I didn't really cover this in the uh, in the summary, but like we see flashbacks to Fort Lehigh where uh, they received their training, and that was mm-hmm. where Cap first met Bucky. Bucky was like a. a officer's kid the officer died and so he had nowhere else to go so he just kind of like stayed on the base and was basically like the fort's kid and he's Mm -hmm. just like they're like oh we're thinking about him being a partner for you and cap's like dude that that guy's a fucking kid he's like he's 16 you're 20 like what are you talking about he's not that much younger than you. he's like yeah but he's a child and they're like look man propaganda wins wars so the same way we're using you as propaganda it's gonna do a lot for morale if america sees like a teenager keeping up with you Mm mm-hmm which, god damn, is that fucked up? <laughs> it is, isn't it? Like, yeah, it sure is. You would, you would think there'd be like a, 
a, a line of like, okay, we're fighting a war where people will actually die. Let's mm-hmm. not put kids in this war. Because I don't, I don't know in this world, I don't know what someone was thinking because you wouldn't even have to do that to get kids like hype about because you literally have Captain America. He gets yeah, you have Captain America and you also have, I think, I think just saying Nazis should be enough. We've seen recently, apparently, that it's not enough. So, like, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Apparently, like, <laughs> neo-fascists aren't enough to serve people to be fucking anti-fascists. Like, they should be. I don't know. The world's weird. But, like, at least in 1942, <laughs> when this takes place, like, I think that was all you had to say was Hitler. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So oh, much. yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> fucking <laughs> knock those teeth in. Let's make him choke on that shit. Yeah. You say Nazis? Fuck them. <laughs> like you don't you don't need kids to do that but man like the guilt that he must the guilt that he must feel because you would you think at this point he probably he thinks that Bucky is dead so he's mm-hmm. already dealt with that he's like cool Bucky is dead that sucks dude Bucky was his Uncle Ben like that was his like driving force right like that was his mm-hmm. Thomas and Martha Wayne like that was the shit that like kept him going like that was his motivation he's just like never another kid this is never happening again and then to yep. find out that like not only did he survive but he was manipulated and taken advantage of by like these insidious terrible fucking people like that's got to be worse than thinking Bucky died right I would it is because you think yeah. you can you can reconcile someone dying and like cool it is but you can't it's harder to reconcile if I'm if I think one of my homeboys is dead and all of a sudden no he didn't die and not only did he die, he became this like mutated assassin that's killed like a thousand people against his will. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's worse than death because you don't you have to there's not a real good way to deal with that. Mm-hmm. One because I mean in the real world that's never happened, but like sure. <laughs> so imagine like it's, if it did, you can't reconcile that. No, it's the same thing like when Piccolo gets like brainwashed in Dragon Ball Z and you're like, not Piccolo, man. Not my guy. Not my buddy. <laughs> right? Yep. Sorry, I'm looking over at my desk and I've got Dragon Ball Z seasons 7, 8, and 9 just sitting. I'm like, oh yeah, I should get back to that shit. Fucking Piccolo. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Oh man, Dragon Ball Z. When, when you used to come on the air back in the day, I was so mad because they would stop it and they'd start over again. Mm-hmm. They'd get to the like the beginning of Namek Saga and they stop it again. And then Yeah, gotta gotta wait like for those did. episodes to be produced. Yeah, gotta gotta wait for that <sighs> translation to come through. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. seen Namek Saga probably like 14 fucking times. That's why I have season <laughs> seven, eight, and nine here, because I've never seen the Boo saga. Like I've never seen like World Tournament on saga. So that's why I got that shit here. And then just whenever I've got like a, a free a free break at work, I, I work from home and I was like, okay, one episode. I just gotta do one. <laughs> I gotta see how this shit ends. Yeah. We'll do a DBC spin-off episode once because I got some I got some thoughts so far on season seven. Cool deal. All right. Uh Captain America twelve came out November twenty-third, two thousand five. It is by Ed Brubaker, art by Steve Epting, colors by Frank Darmada. In New York City, Alexander Lucan greets the richest, shadiest industrials in the world and opens the bidding for his fully powered cosmic cube. Over at Steve's apartment, he and Nick and Sharon 
are trying to decide what could possibly be the motive for sharing the Winter Soldier's file with Steve in the first place. Sharon tries to ease Steve's guilt by telling him that it wasn't really Bucky. He was being manipulated by the Russians, and Steve should take solace in that. Steve sees his attempts to flee his handlers as a sign that he's still there, like he's still trying to be Bucky. Sharon talks to Steve alone on the roof and tries to pin everything. Philadelphia, the death of her ex-agent Tapper, all on Winter Soldier when Steve confronts her, saying, quote, that's all Lucan's doing. You're blaming the gun instead of the person pulling the trigger. I don't know you super well, Robert, but whose fault is this? Is this Lucan's? Is this Bucky's? <laughs> I, I It's hard for me to blame the tool. Mm-hmm. So it it's definitely Lucan's because it's not like Bucky decided, let me go ahead and let me come, become an assassin now. I don't have an arm, so why not be an assassin? Why not just join the Russians, get me a a metal arm, start killing people indiscriminately mm-hmm. for these other people. Like, no, that's I can't I can't blame Bucky. Because in this world, you can be mind controlled. And so yeah. you, there can be instances where you literally don't have control and you can see yourself doing something it's like I I don't know what to do. Like you have beings like Dormammu and Shumo Gareth, like Doctor Strange. Brother Voodoo, Emma Frost, Professor X, they could literally at any moment make you believe that you're sitting in front of a moving train when you're literally sitting in front of the couch looking at a cup of tea. Man, how fucking sick would it be if Brother Voodoo showed up in this book, though? That'd be cool, right? <laughs> not Just not like, enough books. I can, I can, like, honestly only remember one story with him, and that was, like, Brian Michael Bendis's like, second new Avengers comic. That shit was so mm-hmm. good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I can't I can't blame Bucky for that. And then and then you see throughout the story, I think it would be right not to blame him because he's trying not to do these things. Mm-hmm. Hence the reason hence the reason why they kind of put him on hiatus because they, they recognize that like whatever mind control that they've done is starting to wear off. Yeah. So like no, it's not his fault. Because clearly if he if he was in full control of his mind, he wouldn't do it. It's just interesting, though, because, like, it, like we talked about it earlier, right? Like, just follow orders. And, like, Bucky yeah. is literally just following orders. But, like, he's had the ability to even question his orders removed, right? So, like, that mm-hmm. that has to be a different conversation than us, like, sh- shitting on Nick Fury and shitting on that helicopter pilot. It has to be a different conversation. And you're right. Yeah. This book does a really good job of feeling sort of, car- uh, sorry, uh, compartmentalized within the Marvel Universe, right? Like, it does a really good job of feeling like its own unique place. But this mm-hmm. is the same world. You're absolutely right. As Brother Voodoo, as Charles Xavier, as Mastermind, as all these characters who are capable of manipulating a reality. We just saw it in Avengers Disassembled. That's like <laughs> literally what the entire story was about. And so I think we, I think you're right. I think we do need to give Bucky more allowance in such a crazy, hectic world. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. This is, this is Lucan's fault, not Bucky's fault. Yeah, it's, it's just like in, just like in the movie when. Iron Man finds out, whatever. Cap's like, it, it's really not his fault. Mm-hmm. He was mind controlled. And I get it. He killed your parents, but like, it was physically Bucky that killed your parents. But mentally, that wasn't him. Yeah. Because he, when he would, not, he would not have done that unless his parents happened to be like, I don't know, 
Hydra agents or they happen to be scrolls or something crazy like that. I was I was talking about this with people recently, but like that fight between Bucky, Cap, and Iron Man, that's like <sighs> the fight that goes hardest in, in all of the MCU, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. nothing feels more personal and like almost petty than that fight. Like that feels like kids who are fighting but don't understand why they're fighting but know that they're supposed to be fighting and like that just makes it like extra heartbreaking to watch jesus what a moment in the mcu oh man that fight bucky's about to like rip iron man's arc reactor out Mm. and then like the final one where like it looks like cap is gonna decapitate iron man now of course I, i don't think any of us really thought that he would decapitate iron man but like the way they presented but, but you know like, what? But Tony did. <laughs> Tony right. thought he was. <laughs> he was like, uh, oh man, I'm gonna go out like this, really. Just <laughs> right. like my body, my body in the armor suit, just all mangled. My head just like flapping down the forest and whatnot. Like, oh, bro, like such a good fight. Yeah, it was. All right, thank you for uh, taking a detour with me. Appreciate it. <laughs> Steve goes out on patrol to work through his feelings, which he admits all that rage and frustration he's bottling up isn't helping anyone. Back at the Legion of Shitty Billionaires, the bidding opens at $100 billion, but someone's skepticism prompts Lucan to actually demonstrate the power of the cube. Merger agreements materialize out of thin air, and Lucan uses the cube to make these men sign their corporations over to Cronus as subsidiaries and uses the cube to make them happy about it. Jesus, that's gross. That's so gross. <laughs> Listen, anytime that you are in a meeting and someone has something like that, don't ask for a demonstration. Yeah. Just just it's don't. never it's never gonna go well. It, it's it's no. always gonna be like a Darth Vader, like I find your lack of faith disturbing. Like that's yeah. best case scenario, is that they're gonna choke you out a little bit. Right. That is literally the best case scenario. Cause if you go back to um what was it? Was it Kill Bill or Oren Ishii is with the other Yakuza guys? And the guy's like, oh, duh, he, you know, he's talking all Yeah, why should we let this half Japanese, half American yeah. lead us? And then she's all like, okay, cool. I'm just going to cut your head off. If anybody else got something to say, now's the time. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get on this table. I'm gonna invent the Naruto run and just scatter ass. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, don't don't ask for demonstrations. Just let it let it ride. Enjoy ride that wave until yeah. you can leave. Hopefully it, alive. It's like you know what, man. If if you're on if you're the sixth best player on a NBA championship winning team, congrats. You're on an NBA championship winning team. You don't have to complain about not being a starter, right? Yeah. <laughs> like. Out of he's, he's still giving rings Congrats. just like everybody else does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like when they present the championship rings, if you was riding the pond, you still get one. You still, you still get a, you still get a ring, man. Yeah, <laughs> just lock it up. <laughs> Thank you, coach. Thank you, team. Yeah, that's all you got to say. <laughs> everybody have a good night. Yeah, I don't think Steve Kerr was a starter on like the '96 Bulls, but guess what? He got a fucking ring, and uh, yeah, he's he's doing okay. You know. <laughs> All right. Alone with his best, oldest friend and confidant, Lucan nearly passes out from exhaustion. His friend blames the cube, and when he suggests getting rid of it, Lucan loses it, going full WWE on the dude, and beats him within an inch of his life with a nearby coffee table. On patrol, Steve reflects on a time when he and Bucky confronted lobotomized ally soldiers programmed to attack their own troops. 
he uses this memory to justify what he's terrified to do. He knows deep down Bucky would want him to end this, that he wouldn't be able to live with the guilt of what he's done, all this blood on his hands. In the present, Cap throws a shield from a rooftop with pinpoint accuracy and stops an assault in progress in an alleyway before being greeted by the one thing he needs right now, a friend. Nick Fury had called up C's longtime partner and pal, Sam Wilson, a.k.a. The Falcon, and told him that Steve needed him. And that concludes issue 12. First off, goddamn. Like, that's one of my favorite ways to end an issue, is just, like, like reinforcement showing up. Especially when it's, like, an emotional reinforcement, not even, like, a physical, like, not even, like, on your left or whatever. Like, that was a great moment. But just, like, some, some friend just being like, hey, man, you want to get a beer? Like, like that shit right. always gets me. That punches me right in the heart. Because he, in that moment, he really needed that. Mm-hmm. Like, he needed not someone like Nick Fury, not someone like Agent 13, but, like, he needed, like, one of, one of his homies that, like, mm-hmm. he's been through stuff thick and thin. And not necessarily Iron Man, because they're, you know, they're friends, but no, they're not friends like Captain Falcon are. Yeah, they're like they're like work buddies, right? Like, yeah. oh yeah, like we'll we'll get a drink after like a hard shift, but like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call you for help if I'm like like I, you're not gonna give me a ride to the airport, you know? Like right. that's like you have to ask like a real friend to do that because anyone else mm-hmm. would get pissed. And and Sam Sam would take him to the airport. Sam would feed his cat. Sam would water yeah. his plants. <laughs> like Sam's like a real fucking friend that you can ask the shitty things because he's a real friend. Sam Sam is a real one. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I re- I respect their relationship like that. That's he's a real one. I think one thing I really like about their relationship in the comic books as opposed to the movies is it feels like in in the movies correct me if I'm wrong, this is my vibe. I feel like Sam is kind of like a star fucker. Like I feel like he's just like so happy to be like helping Cap. Mm-hmm. But like in the comics, they feel way more equal. Like they feel like they're both on the same level, I guess, when it comes to what should be done and why it should be done. Whereas in the movie, it feels like Falcon is following Cap, whereas here it feels like they're working together. Would you agree with that feeling, at least in, in these issues? Yeah, I I agree. I think that in in the movies, Falcon is more like he's more like a sidekick than mm-hmm. like we are we both have the same goal but like if you're going to do your own thing cool you you do your own thing i'm doing mine and if we need to like team up we can mm-hmm. that that kind of relationship as opposed to like oh man it's captain america i had all your trading cards when i was 10 yeah. and i got them from target or whatever and cap's like yeah. what is target <laughs> <laughs> Like I think, like is that, is that like Waltons? It's like they, they call it Walmart now, but yeah, it's, it's like Waltons. Like, do they still have a Woolworth? No cat. <laughs> what happened to Feo Schwartz? Yeah. <laughs> I remember reading about this guy named Sam Walton, bro. Don't even. Is he related to Sam Goody? Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> but I think in, in this comic, they're definitely more. They're definitely more like teammates as opposed to like hero and sidekick. And I think it's it's always I think it's almost always been that way with the two of them. Of course mm-hmm. I haven't read a whole lot of Cap comics like that, nor have I read Falcons like series and whatnot. But as far as far as like what I've seen, even like from covers and like reading this, they're more like 
they're like brothers. They're like friends. Yeah. Almost as if, let's say if Bucky had been alive and they kind of grew their relationship and Cap wasn't frozen in ice, almost mm-hmm. like something like that. Yeah, for sure. And I actually think they do a really good job. Like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think that series has problems on, on Disney+. Plus. But I think that their relationship by the end of it becomes way more like what it was with Steve and, and Falcon. And I, I really like having that feeling back, you know, mm-hmm. like in the MCU, like they feel like they're on equal footing in a way that like, I don't know, like Falcon just seemed like starstruck by Cap the entire time. And I get that yeah. he's Captain America, but like also like, like Falcon just has a confidence in the in the comics that I really appreciate, and like a, a, a self assuredness that I feel like is a little lacking in in film. Yeah, Falcon is like Falcon is his own person, whether mm. he teams up with Cap or not. And it's almost like in the movies, Falcon is find is trying to find out who he is with with Captain America and without Captain America. Yeah. And granted, the history doesn't exist on film that it does in, in the comics, but I think they could have played it up a little bit more, especially because, like, Chris Evans and Anthony Mackie, like, they've been in movies together before. Like, they have really good chemistry. And so I think they could have probably moved that a little faster in, in the movies, yeah. if I'm if I'm being honest. But that said, let's jump into Captain America 13. This is a quick one. This issue came out December 21st, 2005, written by Ed Brubaker, art by Steve Epting, colors by Frank D'Armada. Cap brings Sam up to speed, and the dude is just the best. A total bro. He admits that whoever sent him this file did it to get under his skin and make him think the only choice he has left is to put Bucky in the ground. But then he just plainly asks, what do you want to do? Cap says, save him. And Sam says, great, let's do that then. (laughs) Great. What What a pal. (laughs) For real. It's like, so what do do you want to do? You want to go pull up? He's like, yeah. Like, yeah, did you see that movie, The Town? Like the uh, Ben Affleck bank ben robbery Affleck. movie in in Boston. I wait. I, I don't. I don't remember if I've seen that. Maybe I have, but it's been years since I've seen. It, if I have, there's there's one scene where Ben Affleck goes up to Jeremy Renner, who's like his co-conspirator in that movie, like co-bank robber, and he's like, "I need you to come with me. We need to hurt some people. You can't ask me what, where we're going. You can't ask me who we're hurting, but we need <laughs> to do it." And and Jeremy Renner just goes, "Whose car are we taking?" And it's like, fuck, <laughs> one, great line, two, dude's a psychopath, three, what a friend. <laughs> like those, are, right. <laughs> those are the three immediate takeaways from that response to me saying we got to hurt some people and you can't ask why. He's like, hey, all right, cool, dude. <laughs> Elsewhere in the city, Lucan is ordering the Winter Soldier to take the cube away and hide it in an old nuclear storage facility. Bucky questions why he's doing that after all the trouble gone through to get the cube. Lucan gets testy at Winter Soldier questioning orders and verbally puts him in his place. The next day on the east side, a couple of AIM agents are messing around when Iron Man, Cap, and Falcon explode through the wall. They're looking for answers, and they very quickly become the, quote, not fucking around guys. <laughs> they don't say that in the comic. I just wanted to be clear that I was saying that, not, uh, <laughs> not the comic. They fight a giant mech that Iron Man is eventually able to disable, and they track down the scientists they're looking for, the people who can tell them how to track a cosmic cube. Turns out the nuclear storage facility is owned by a company called NextGen, a recently, require, uh, recently acquired subsidiary of Cronus. 
Since Stark barely managed to fight off a hostile takeover of Cronus himself, he can't be involved with a raid of this facility since it'll look like corporate warfare and he'll have Stark Industries taken out from under him. Sam and Cap make their way to the facility on a private jet and let Sharon know what's going on. Patrolling the perimeter of the facility, Cap and Falcon are looking for the best way in when Winter Soldier gets them in his sights and pulls the trigger. So that was the corporate where where oh, wow I'm losing it sorry that was the corporate warfare line we were talking about earlier and like that was that felt like mm-hmm. oddly realistic and not like idealistic the way this comic probably would have been six years earlier right where it's mm-hmm. just like oh I'm I'm Iron Man but I'm I always choose what's r- the right thing to do just trust me so this is him being like yeah dude like I'm not Nick Fury I can't just I, I can't just wipe <laughs> my hands of this this is gonna have my fucking name on it I'm I'm not doing this <laughs> right because again if so if he does that and someone finds out, it's a wrap for Stark Industries. Oh, uh, dude's toast, yeah. Like, bro, and yeah, he got he got all his money, but he he not he won't be able to keep it all. Mm-hmm. All right, this issue came out December twenty first, two thousand five. That puts a wrap on two thousand five. So, Robert, I got a little I got a little something for you. I've got the top five grossing movies domestic for 2005 and i've also got the top five songs according to billboard top 100 from 2005 <laughs> what do you want to start talking about first movies or music movies movies all right love it all right so domestically number one performing film at the box office star wars episode three revenge of the sith oh my god two or sorry wow. 380 million plus Wow. Came out in May of 2005. Did you like that one? I think when I first watched it, I think I did. I think I did. And, man, let me tell you, so watching, no, okay, so knowing that Darth Vader is who he is and understanding that, like, he's going to become Darth Vader, but how does he become Darth Vader? I thought that's the part that kind of like, that's the part I liked the most because mm-hmm. it's one of those, like his insecurities, him wanting to save people and not understanding that if you're going down this path of being a Jedi, you kind of have to like let go of those stuff, those things. And he just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. He's like, I got to save Padme. I got to gotta do this. I got to stop this. And by him trying to stop the thing, all of those things happened anyway. He tried to save Padme. She ended up dying. He tried not to become Sith. He ends up becoming one of the most popular evil Sith ever. Right. All because he was trying to save people. And then like the the part where him and Padme are talking, he's like, oh, basically he's like, oh, he was you know, he was sleeping around with Obi-Wan. She's like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, no. That was pretty, like, even as, like, a f- I was 14 when this movie came out. Yeah, May. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hadn't turned 15 yet. That, like, even to 14-year-old me, I'm like, that's a leap. Like, you see them together, and you're like, <laughs> you two are obviously space fucking. It's like, well, no, <laughs> actually, we're just, I, I snuck aboard her ship. I, I did not. Why are you choking her? <laughs> like that's your right. wife. You, you know she's pregnant. What are you doing? Anakin, what is bro? What is what are you on? And I was I was like 25 at the time. So I'm like for him to 
for him to like think that they were sleeping together, I'm like, okay. Uh, that well, that's like su- just such like a teenager's assumption of the situation, right? Like that's like how a kid, <laughs> a kid would view it. And it's like, bro, you got a lot of growing up to do here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sure. And then her like Annie breaking my heart. That kind of like that kind of hit me in the chest when she said that. I was like, oh man, no. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> just like. The heart, her being heartbroken, and then Palpatine's like, "Yeah, you killed her." And he's like, "No, that." Hmm. Yeah, the amount of times, like at, like I played a lot of pool when I was in college. I would just go to bars and you know just pass time playing pool. A lot of like old, like just like regulars at the bar, right? Like I would hang out with a lot of locals as opposed to college kids because it turns out college kids are pretty fucking annoying. <laughs> uh, but the amount, of, like every time I like lost a game of pool by like scratching the eight or something i would always like break down and go like i saw her no and just like do the the meme every fucking time because nothing nothing else felt right (laughs) number two movie harry potter and the goblet of fire this made 273 million and change I have zero opinion on the Harry Potter movies. I think the third one's good because that was Alessandro Cuaron, I think. That was like one of the Spanish. Was that Prisoner 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 So that was the first one. I I had never watched Harry Potter before. I'm like, I don't want to watch these kids do magic stuff. Like, I don't care about this. Give me me like Lord of the Rings or something like that. I don't care about Mm -hmm. these kids. That was the first one that I had ever seen, Prisoner of Azkaban. I was like, okay. There's something here. Yeah. Yeah. I remember finally getting the book a couple years earlier. I think I was like 11 or 12. And I remember like reading that in like three sittings, which was, I thought super impressive because that book is like 740 pages, I think. And that was like the longest book I'd ever read at that point. I was just like Mm -hmm. really impressed with myself. Goblet of Fire. I I have no opinions. I don't really know the movies that well, which is weird because I I watch them frequently, but I also like just super quickly like in and out, you know, like mm-hmm. every Christmas I'm like, oh, these are fun, and then I realize like, oh, I'm just doing crossword puzzles on my phone, and I'm already on movie five. Oh shit, <laughs> like this, this isn't how a marathon is supposed to go. <laughs> Number three movie, two hundred thirty four million and change. War of the Worlds, the Steven Spielberg Tom Cruise sci fi epic. Yeah, I I enjoyed that. I've I've always been a fan of War of the Worlds. I remember watching the the classic Walter Cronkite version. Yeah, and you know when you watch the when I watch the newer version, having watched the old, I'm like, it's a it's it's an interesting take on it. Kind of, I would expect to, you know see them showing people getting take a rise and whatever. I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. That one's really interesting. I want to go back and rewatch it because I think that's the last movie that Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg made together. And then, oh, wow. like, there something changed in their relationship. And then after that, I don't know, Tom Cruise was just making very different movies. And it seemed like that was the end of him being, like, traditional movie star. And then he had to be mm-hmm. sort of, like, a typical movie star, right? Where, like, the, the recent Mission Impossible movies are super good. But, like, you also want to see it because you know he's doing all of his own stunts. Like, it almost seems, like, gimmicky. And so I, I really want to rewatch War of the Worlds. I think it's on Netflix or HBO Max or something. But just because this is like his last hurrah in like a traditional Hollywood model. So I'm interested to check that out. Number four, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, 209 million and change. Again, no real opinion. I really like the book. But mm-hmm. besides that, I, I don't think I even saw this movie. I think I saw this in the theaters. 
I don't know why, but I think I did. And well, just from our conversation, you seem to be like a big fantasy buff, so it makes sense why you'd see it. No, <laughs> well, I don't think I mean, you understand, Robert. the The lion was Jesus the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> see, and see that that part of like the Chronicles of Narnia, it just even when I was a kid when we read it in school, it was just like cool lions. I never, I ne- I never got the connection between it was Aslan being Jesus, but mm-hmm. I mean. Oh, I didn't either. That was just what everyone everyone told me. I was just like, okay, I'm I'm nine. I didn't get that. <laughs> like, right, <laughs> little, little little over my head here. Yeah. Number five, uh, making just a hundred and eighty thousand less than Chronicles of Narnia, Wedding Crashers. <laughs> I, didn't, I, did not, I didn't see I did. that until like it came out on TNT. I can promise. Oh you that. fuck no! I love. I saw that movie in theaters. I just didn't see that coming. I didn't think that would be number five on, wow. on the list of like. Okay, what do Star Wars, Line the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Harry Potter, and Wedding Crashers have in common? Uh, <laughs> oh, they all made over two hundred million. Right, that's Wedding Crashers. Dude, I'm looking at this right now. Number seven is Batman Begins. So Wedding Crashers, uh, four million more than than Batman Begins. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm not. I'm kind of not surprised because Batman Begins. It was. Uh, it's interesting because you know we had those wonderful movies by Joel Schumacher. Dude, I rewatched Batman Forever not too not too long ago. I mm. think that movie actually deserves a little bit more praise. I think Batman Forever is good. I still can't get into the campiness of, of Batman and Robin, but forever I think has, has some moments. Okay. Um, I might give it another watch. I, I can't make any promises. That's I totally, <laughs> I completely get it. I just remember making fun of that movie so much. And granted I was under the influence of certain amounts of wine. And I was like, you know what? I should watch Batman forever. I miss Val Kilmer. <laughs> and then I was like on the edge of my seat. I was just like, Oh my God, Val Kilmer is so good as Batman. <laughs> I, was, I was really blown away. Now, you know what? I still haven't, I don't think I've seen Batman Begins from like beginning to end and like actually watched it. I just, man, I just couldn't, I couldn't get into it. I'm like, okay, you're going to do Batman stuff? Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. I love Batman Begins so much. The nerdiest thing I've ever done, I'm saying this as someone who's like currently recording a comic book podcast about comics that came out 17 years ago. Nerdiest <laughs> thing I've ever done, I had a week off between jobs. I like left my old job and then was starting a new job. And I went through, I have like the collection of the Batman Begins, the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises scripts. And mm. I like went through, I was watching the movie with the script and like taking notes and like rearranging scenes and like correcting lines of dialogue. Granted, I wanted to like better understand movie scripts so I could start maybe writing something, but I, I mostly just wanted to play around with the format. But like, that's how into Batman Begins I am. I, I fucking wow. love that movie. I think it's excellent. Bro. Yeah. Means- Weird. I, this, this guy, super nerd. Who saw it coming? <laughs> All I remember from 2005 was get I think getting an Xbox 360 and mm-hmm. then the morning after Red Ring of Death as I'm you trying to play NBA 2K6. Son of a bitch. Are you serious? Yeah. I had my launch 360. It didn't die until two years ago. I like lent <sighs> it to my brother-in-law Dang. and then fi- he was playing like I think I got him NCAA football like 14 or something like the last one they made the second last one they made because he's a big like mm-hmm. bulldogs fan 
and uh yeah he's just like oh man I, like it just it keeps turning red i'm like motherfucker <laughs> that was like that was supposed to be one of the good ones that one lasted yeah. me since 2006 <laughs> like, dude bro when i tell you i was so i was so pissed off because <laughs> I, I think i might have been off that day and i had gotten it when i got off work the day before and i was like great so i can't play any video games today that's great I just want to hang out with my buddy Carmelo Anthony leading the Nuggets. I just want to have fun there. <laughs> just that's all. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to like pretend that like Charlotte had a basketball team for once. Mm-hmm. Oh fuck <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was be- well. That was before because uh, the original the Pelicans. Pelicans. Yeah. Yep. So it was like incredible, dude. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready to talk about some music? Yeah. All right. Uh, according to Billboard year-end Hot 100 singles for 2005, number one, We Belong Together by Mariah Carey. I was literally thinking in my head, I'm like, I wonder if, that, if Mariah Carey's Emancipation of Mimi is going to be on this list. Yeah, uh, we, we got We got a couple rounding out the top 20 for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, Mar- so that album, I, that album is, to me, it's, it's decent only because there's only like maybe two or three songs I can listen to like on that album. But like a rock here as an artist, she's got a pretty sizable library. That's just like legit. Well, it's just that like, she's like Tom Cruise. Like we were talking about him earlier, but like she's just been doing it for so long. Like she's got bangers mm-hmm. for so many different decades. It's like kind of amazing. And like, I still think my favorite song of hers is probably fantasy just cause I love the, the Tom Tom club sampling they did in that. Yeah. Like, uh, from, uh, God, what is it called? Something, something of love. Hey everyone. Future George here. Uh, genius of love. The song I was struggling to remember was genius of love by Tom Tom club. The offshoot of talking heads. Love you. Bye. I, I, I can't remember the but it was like a tom tom club like the offshoot of talking heads but like mm-hmm. fantasy is like one of the best pop songs ever recorded ever like it's fucking amazing and that music video is just like her on the roller coaster yeah. and like partying <laughs> on the pier and like you see her in like a jeep wrangler and you're just like wow that's cool i want to be a jeep wrangler someday <laughs> like, i want to I ride up and down in a in a red wrangler hands in there ah! Well, I'm like, I don't know if you remember that movie, The Pest, with John Leguizamo. I'm like 99% sure that's why they gave him a fucking Wrangler in that movie. And like, they also had like a party by the pier. It looks exactly like that music video. Number two, <laughs> Hollaback Girl, Gwen Stefani. <laughs> that was okay. right after she like, didn't leave, no doubt, but like was doing a little mm. bit of a solo career. Number mm. three, Let Me Love You by Mario. Oh, God. That's number three? Yeah. Wow. I miss 90s R&B so much. Like, 90s R&B is, like, one of my favorite genres of music. Like, TLC mm-hmm. from the 90s is, like, for me, I, I love it. And so this was, like, this felt like the last hurrah for, for that on, on charts. And I think it's getting better. I think there is more R&B now than there mm-hmm. used to be, especially, like, five, eight years ago. But, man, what? W- God, I miss the 90s. I miss the 90s so much, Robert. (laughs) Mario, Let Me Love You, number three in 2005. Like, don't get me wrong. I think the the song is, it's a good song, but like, I didn't realize it was like, 
number three because I, I remember I remember kind of like hearing the song because I was 25 26 then mm-hmm. dude that's to me that's bonkers now I'm gonna tell you this about 90s R&B that's my jam it's good like, shit uh crazy sexy cool is probably my favorite album of all time i think that's okay perfect that that is no one would be mad if that's your favorite album of all time yeah like that's that's prime tlc like they i don't think they 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 had never hit a peak like that ever of course because you know left eye passed away like yeah i mean like no scrubs got there but like that didn't really feel like that entire album i I really genuinely enjoy right Mm -hmm. but um like what was it it was fan mail right in 98 yeah like that i like i I love that album but that was like i didn't feel like that was r&b like i felt like that was like y2k electronic influence in a way that felt like a departure from from crazy sexy cool yeah, like Crazy Sex and Cool, it's got lots of bangers on there. Like, yes, it does. <laughs> and they're just, a lot of them, they don't have the same energy. And some of them have a message, like Waterfall's got a message, but you can still enjoy it as a song. Mm-hmm. Plus, I think that was before, oh God, what's his name? Uh, I think that was like before Hype Williams started directing a bunch of their music videos, right? So like even Probably. their even their videos had like a completely different look. Like it felt more soulful in, in their presentation, mm-hmm. like on MTV and stuff. And then hype Williams comes in and does like the complete, like fisheye lens on, on no scrubs or whatever. And just gives them <laughs> a completely different perspective. I, I love mm-hmm. hype Williams. I've often said like, I wish my life were shot by hype Williams. Cause that dude, <laughs> I think is like one of the most important directors of the entire fucking decade. And I'm like, including like Schindler's list, <laughs> like I'm including like every major movie of the nineties, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. But like, Hype Williams, though. <laughs> I mean, on, like that Jay Z that Jay Z Sunshine video is like probably my favorite music video of all time. That song's fucking amazing. Uh, 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 Since you've been gone, Kelly Clarkson, number four. Wow, I love this song. I love this song so much. I love shitty pop <laughs> music, Robert. I gotta be honest. Listen, Nathan, listen. There's nothing wrong with that. I I have to admit that, like, I do have some. Maybe some questionable songs on my playlists. <laughs> right. Uh, they are definitely guilty pleasures. I'm trying to think mm-hmm. of... Um, I got like a Taylor Swift song. And... Dang it, now I can't think of the name of the song. Uh, oh. Call Me call me Maybe. Like, I like this song, you know? Oh, yeah, great. great. Oh, that, the Carly Rae Jepsen. Fucking great. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's catchy, you know? Hey, that's catchy. It's crazy. <laughs> Number five sleeper pick, one two step, uh, Ciara and Missy Elliott. <laughs> like if Dude. you're doing a if you're doing a draft, like that song could very well go first overall. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I'm I'm looking at this top 100 as if it's like I don't know if you play fantasy football or anything, but like as ADP, like average draft position. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a case that this is like the running back you take first overall. Yeah, because. That song and Cookies, most people are probably going to, I would say most people are probably going to take one, two step because it's just like, it's super catchy. 
This beat is automatic, supersonic, funky, fresh. Yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, that was that was 2005 as we as we heard it as we saw it. God, what a fun year! Oh, man, before I had kids, <laughs> <laughs> I was 20, 25 years old. Man, and it's crazy because I, I had stopped reading comics. Yeah, like from like I didn't. I stopped reading comics around like let's say like two thousand ish. I kind of got like the beginning of when Bastion came into X Men. Mm-hmm. I totally missed like new X Men. I missed all of that. I was not reading comics then because at first I'm like eh, I don't even like how this looks. It's like Ugh. I wasn't a big <laughs> fan of uh, <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of of the authority just just based on the look. But like you know. Mm-hmm. 25 was definitely a good year. So much fun, bro. Yeah, 15 was the same year. Pretty fun, too. Yeah. I, I was pretty good at being 15. Just waking <laughs> up late and fucking eating peanut butter for meals is great shit. <laughs> <laughs> Re- reading comics, figuring out what Captain America and Falcon are going to do in West Virginia, of all places. Right. You ready to wrap this up and then we'll get into a Broken Planet? Yeah. All right. Captain America 14. Came out February 1st, 2006. It is by Ed Brubaker, art by Steve Epting, colors by Frank Darmada. Out of nowhere, Bucky gets a face full of Cap's shield and the dude is on the defensive. He's trying to get inside the facility and close it down before Cap and Falcon can get there. An armed patrol comes out for backup, but Cap just plows right through them, leaving Falcon behind to fight them and mop up. Sharon calls in saying there's a network of tunnels by the storage facility underground. And if Cap doesn't stop Bucky here, it's over. Uh, Dude's in the wind and they'll have no way to track him. Cap tracks Bucky down right at the entrance and an epic scrap breaks out. Falcon puts down the guards at the entrance of the facility with one of the best lines of the book when he says, expats, excuse me, saying expats, you guys ain't shit. Sharon shows up with a shield strike team. And a reinforced Falcon makes his way into the facility. Cap and Bucky are going a full 12 rounds. Cap keeps trying to reach out to Bucky, telling him he doesn't want to fight. This isn't him. And Bucky isn't hearing any of it. Constantly assuring Cap that he hasn't confused with someone else. They continue their epic brawl. And finally, Cap lays down his arms and tells Bucky, quote, shoot me. If you truly don't know me, then just do it. Sharon shows up with Falcon, and that small distraction is all Cap needs. He throws a shield that bounces off nine different surfaces, because he's cool like that, and eventually (laughs) knocks the cosmic cube out of its protective case. The cube falls right at Cap's feet, which he then picks up and uses its power to make Bucky remember who he is. Cosmic energy swirls around Bucky's head, unlocking neurons that haven't fired in decades, and in a gorgeous two-page spread, we see him remember everything. Sharon tells an approaching Steve uh, to get away from him and Cap tells her it's over. She lowers her weapon and an incredulous Bucky tells Steve, how could you do this? Why didn't you just kill me? Bucky realizes everything he's done recently has been to power the cosmic cube and he takes it with his bionic arm and crushes it to dust, causing a huge explosion. Falcon and Sharon are certain that Bucky's finally dead, but Steve is convinced that Bucky escaped in the confusion, calling him a survivor. Back at the dilapidated Fort Lehigh, Bucky sits amongst his old training camp, reminiscing about the first time he met Cap. Back in New York, Lucan has a conversation with himself against a window, seemingly torn about the fate of the cube, half thinking it was a mistake to destroy it, 
and half thinking he's glad it's gone. The perspective shifts to behind Lucan, and instead of his own reflection, we see him conversing with Red Skull, whose mind is now living within Lucan since being killed by the Winter Soldier at the end of issue one, covered all the way back in episode 14 of this podcast. And that concludes the Winter Soldier storyline. Epic finish. Epic finish. Yes, I agree. Let me tell you, that line, remember who you are, I can't help it. It sounds like Mufasa. I read it and like, (laughs) like oh my god i didn't even think about that holy (laughs) shit what a what a call yeah you're right 100 percent. but now like the what's what i think is kind of ironic is they kind of do the same thing they did approaching bucky that they did with lucan earlier on in the story where they just kind of like they go in guns blazing but mm-hmm. this time, it actually makes sense to do that, and it actually works. They kind of they get they get their goal, but the fight between the two of them is is super emotional because you got Captain's trying to save Bucky, and you got Bucky who's trying to like do what do his thing, and then all of a sudden. Catholic, remember who you are, that's kind of not a good idea because now you're going to make this person realize in that moment all the terrible things that they've done. Mm-hmm. So it's not shocking that Bucky would say, you should have just killed me. Now I got to like, now I, I got to process. <laughs> yeah. I got to process the last, we'll 60 say years. 60 <laughs> years. So that means I have to mentally process that I'm not, that I'm 60 years old even though I don't look like I'm 60 years old, one. Two, mm-hmm. I got to process all these people that I've killed, not of my own free will. I've been used. And now I got to process, one, that you're alive. Like, bro, you could have, like, you know, give me, like, little small doses. Sure, yeah, just, just little, little sprinkles of, of, yeah. of memory, yeah. Because that would almost draw somebody crazy. I mean, if you remember who you are, then all of a sudden, yeah, you are 60 years older in an instant, right? Like, if if you're remembering everything, then it's like, fuck. I get to see myself being experimented on by Russian scientists. I get to see myself assassinating, like, democratically elected U.S. senators. I get to see myself completely dismantling U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East and in in Northern Africa. and, And, like, all these places where it's just like, oh, fuck, like... I took an oath of duty to protect my country and I spent the last six decades completely fighting against it. <laughs> like I killed my own military operatives. Um, mm-hmm. Dude. So like I, one thing I want to talk about and we're getting a little long, so I will keep this short, but like the, the, the flashbacks that happen throughout this story, they're always so convenient right like they're always mm-hmm. like the the perfect memory to recall to influence the next decision you're about to make now you've worked on graphic novels how how do you balance that right with like trying to tell like a natural story versus trying to tell a convenient story as far as like flashbacks and whatnot yeah and like i i understand like that might not be super relevant to to broken planet but i i guess like just when you're constructing a story how do you tackle 
like oh well like you didn't know this happened because i haven't shown it to you yet you know like Mm -hmm. how are we supposed to know like the the weight of the context in like a more natural way than cap remembering a hyper specific hyper poignant moment that just sort of points to how he's supposed to feel as opposed to feeling a bit more organic is that does that that question make sense i think it does so okay like with the story i'm telling like jason he's He's almost like a he's like a scientist slash like explorer. So him being in that realm, he's gonna want to know a lot of the history behind some things. And so sometimes the things that he finds out or that he's learned will kind of explain why somebody wants to might do a certain thing. Mm-hmm. Like in the first book, they're looking for this object called the Shabaka Stone. And they're looking for it because, you know, it's from a time very, very long ago. And people have tried to look for it and whatnot. And then when they discover it, it's it's special because it kind of links them to tens of 20, hundreds of thousands of years long ago on the planet. That I would I think I'd rather do that. There, there might be some things where I have flashbacks for someone. But I really haven't. I haven't gotten that far yet with my book. Gotcha. Trying to determine like I, I guess, other characters are going to need flashbacks. As as is a as a comic creator, uh, how do you feel about it? I guess because like I personally think it's it's awesome because there's like not a lot of like history, right? Because like Cap has has a super confusing like publishing history, right? Mm-hmm. And like we didn't even get to see like really that many adventures with him and Bucky. They were always like super contextualized to whatever sort of propaganda they were running in the 40s and so like there's not a lot of like i guess deep stories with cap and bucky right like the things that we would consider not shallow the way they probably were in 1939 and in 1940 whatever and so like i do think it's really cool to see like modern world war ii comics but i also do think it's like kind of a crutch to just be like oh well the reason this is affecting him so much is because there's a super specific moment that he's remembering it's like yeah but I mean, that's, it's not like you're drawing on like history here. You're just inventing the moment that that is so impactful to him. Does that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, so I like. I don't really mind flashbacks. There are, <laughs> there are some flashbacks I would, I could do without. You know, like characters like the Joker and like Wolverine. I don't care about how they became that outside of like Weapon X, Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And the Joker is just a Joker. Like I don't, none of that matters to me because the character is already is already there. Somebody like Bucky, I would I think that makes sense to, for him to have a flashback because one, we as the reader, we're like Cap. We thought he was dead, but he's not. And throughout the comic book, we see that like he's trying to. Even before what happens with him in the Cosmic Cube, he's still trying to almost like undo whatever programming that he doesn't quite know that's been done. Mm. So when he gets those flashbacks, it kind of, I think that's written well enough to where it's acceptable. Okay. Yeah. No, that's generally how I feel too. Um, we actually got a question about this this storyline. But before we get to that, I just want to ask, what'd you think? This was your your first Captain America story from this era. This was something you had just 
picked up off the shelf because I asked you to. Thank you again for doing that. I really appreciate it. What'd you think? I liked the story. I did. I really did. I liked it. The first, like the at the beginning, it kind of like it's almost like a slow burn, and there's not a whole lot of like bombastic action. You're not getting like Infinity Gauntlet or Execution Song. You're not getting any, anything crazy like that. You're getting a story that's pretty well contained. Like, sorry, you are definitely older than me. If that was the second, like, both those stories are from like 1992, 1993, and so like, if the right. second story you reference as being like a big bombastic story, it's Executioner's Song. I'm like, oh fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, even, and it's it's even not even like Volume Two of X Men. Like the first, we'll say first four or five issues, it's not even in a, on like on that level. Because even that was kind of like a big deal with the <laughs> with the blue team having to fight the gold team because the gold team had been mind controlled somehow. Magneto's like, oh man, like it's going down. And like fucking, nah. fucking Fabian Cortez, man, every time. <laughs> god, every single time. Oh my god. Let me, mm, I, <laughs> that, so I, I started reading comic books in the '90s. So like my first like big comic book that I've got was like X-Men volume two, number one. Mm-hmm. And like that, that story and this and something, even like some of my fatal attractions and this not even remotely close to the impact and how big it was. Cause even that fatal attraction story starts with Magneto shutting, like putting an EMP all over the world. So you got like Dr. Strange, you got Mr. Fantastic, like Nick Fury's like, uh, okay, this is definitely Magneto. Right. So we need to call Professor X. It's like, yo, what's up with your boy? Your boy Magneto is tripping. And Professor's like, oh, we got it. It's, it's going down for real now. And sorry, Fatal Attractions, that was when Magneto ripped the adamantium out of Wolverine. Yeah. Mm. And it was gone. Like, it was actually, to, their, to Marvel's credit, it was gone for like six years, which like is actually like... That's a long time. Yeah, that is. That's a lot of comics with Wolverine without his adamantium bones. Yeah, it it got so long that like, I mean, you could have told me he'll never get it back, and I would have believed you. Yeah, the only the only time he had it back was in um, like Age of Apocalypse, right? Because that was like an yeah. alternate history. <laughs> yeah. and then like he even fought Onslaught with bones. It's like, man, adamantium would be super fucking helpful right now. <laughs> <laughs> Fight on side with toothpicks real quick, you know. We'll see. What yeah, happens. <laughs> don't don't worry, Cyclops. I got this. <laughs> but not, but not like the Winter Soldier story. It was small enough to where it could be contained, but it was impactful enough because now you have Bucky who's out on his own, dealing with the weight of what he's just been, what's been kind of unlocked to him, and those memories and those feelings, those emotions, and now you still have Captain. Cat believes that he's still alive. Of course, other people are probably going to believe he's dead. He's like, I believe that he's still alive because he's a survivor. Because mm-hmm. in some respects, he is. He's he survived, even though he was brought back to life or whatever. He survived. He survived all of it. Right. Really quick, our question from the last comic shop. This is from Black Angus Andy on Twitter. Uh, last comic shop, really fun comic book podcast. I cannot recommend enough. Uh, they're really good at their jobs. They're able to keep a podcast to an hour. I, I get so excited and, and dorking <laughs> out that our shit goes long. But uh, they basically just review uh, like almost trade paperbacks or like storylines. And so it's really self-contained. Really enjoy that show. I recommend it very much. 
but Black Angus Andy asks, growing up, we had a saying that the only people that stayed dead in comics was Bucky, Jason Todd, and Uncle Ben. Yet bringing back Bucky in the Winter Soldier is now considered genius. What other retcons and comics do you think worked extremely well in the end? I think it's really funny because around the same time is when Jason Todd came back from the dead in the <laughs> Batman comics. This was around Infinite Crisis, and it turns out Superman, or sorry, Superboy punching the walls of reality mm-hmm. moved things around and all of a sudden Jason Todd was put in a Lazarus pit and came back from the di- super complicated. We are not a DC podcast, not yet anyway. So we'll, we'll get to that story someday, but Jason Todd comes back. I agree. I think uncle Ben is now the old, like uncle Ben, even Martha and Thomas Wayne, like mm-hmm. they're living characters in the flashpoint universe, right? Like yeah. Thomas Wayne is, ostensibly batman and martha wayne is the fucking joker right like that's that's how that dichotomy works out in in flashpoint so like even those characters like seeing alternate reality versions is to me at this point the way alternate realities and parallel arts are treated it Mm -hmm. might as well be seeing the same person right it might as well so like the fact that uncle ben is the only one that's like still dead like he he can never come back, right? Like, because then doesn't Spider Man lose all of his all of his steam? I would say if Uncle Ben came back, it might it might make it worse. Like if if he came back, another person that's like that is literally still dead makes no sense to me is Captain Marvel. Like, okay, I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me how like in this universe. You have all these powerful beings, but you can't stop a guy from getting cancer. Like, really? yeah, that feels like that feels like something the Kree would have solved a long time ago. Yeah, or you could just have Doctor Strange like anti-cancer spell. What do you he mean? actually does that in a uh, Doctor Strange: The Oath. He finds the cure to cancer <laughs> at the at the end of the first issue. That was Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin did that comic. Mm-hmm. Um, what other retcons and comics do you think worked extremely well in the end? I'm actually, this is like a controversial pick. It's a more modern comic, but uh, man, there's a story called secret empire, which, (laughs) which feeds off of Avengers standoff. where like basically captain America gets the super soldier serum removed from his, his bloodstream. And then just like ages super rapidly because of it. He actually becomes his age. And then he's like basically at a retirement home for super villains, but it was like an extrajudicial sentencing for them where they were kind of mind wide. Really confusing story, but basically someone <laughs> takes a, a cube and like makes Steve Rogers young again. Mm-hmm. And in the process, make him a sleeper agent for Hydra. And then he becomes in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. He like orchestrates all these situations to put him being the ultimate dictator of the United States and like it's a really messed up story, but it's so weird and so different that I actually think it's like a really good story and they fix it immediately after, like by the end of the series, don't worry, Cap is a good guy again. It turns out he wasn't a Hydra agent. It turns out he didn't do all this shit, but then it's like him going across country on a motorcycle, trying to rediscover himself, trying to rediscover America, trying to rediscover what it means to be himself in America after like all these terrible things were done by someone with his face, with his mind, with his body, all this shit. And man, I really enjoy that event. I think that event is like actually good and worth reading. So that is a a retcon to a retcon to like four other retcons about Steve and how old he is that I think is I think is good. I think is worth checking out. I also think DC Rebirth 
is fucking excellent. Mm-hmm. I think those are I've, some of the best comics of the last like 20 years. Yeah, that as far as retcons, I would say DC Rebirth, top notch, because it kind of New 52 was not that good. Not my not my jam. I'm I'm trying yeah. to read Green Lantern right now, and like Green Lantern, I think is like a good book. I personally don't even like the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo Batman comics that much. It just mm-hmm. feels like kind of like a cover song. Like it feels like they're just doing like the greatest hits of like Batman lore, and like it's really pretty and like it's well written. I just don't care about mm-hmm. it. Um, but Rebirth, like when they brought Wally back. Uh, that, that shit made me cry like multiple times. Like I had to buy a second copy because like my stupid salty tears actually ruined the first copy of <laughs> Batman Rebirth or uh, DC Rebirth that I had. Dude. So that that's probably my answer for best best retcon. Robert, I'm gonna cut us here, and then we're gonna do like a special episode, a l- little bonus episode. But I just I just want to keep the the runtime down because one hour forty three is kind of a long time. So uh, thank you so much for listening to Shortbox Summary. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at PurpleBird616. You can find Robert on Twitter at Red22Studios. Please give him a follow. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Winter Soldier, man. I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited to talk about Broken Planet. Broken Planet.